This is Anchored in Christ, the sermon podcast that gives you hope in the gospel as an anchor for your soul. Brought to you from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. Welcome back to Anchored in Christ. We are now at the end of the sermon series called Soul Searching, based on John Ortberg's book, Soul Keeping. I'm Debbie Owen, here with Pastor Sarah Singleton. Now, Sarah, as we wrap this up, would you refresh our memories on what is a soul? (laughs) Well, the soul is the truest part of ourselves. It is the part that is not made by us like a self. Mm -hmm. It is made by God and it is our spirit that connects our will that connects our mind that connects our body and is the totality of the truest part of ourselves we commune with our soul our soul can be full and therefore we in a sense have a weightiness about us Mm -hmm. in our being or it can be um, uh, shriveled and small, neglected. And oftentimes it comes out when we hear a music and we get a tear in our eye mm. or something awakens a longing or we find ourselves discontent with anything that's going on. It's our soul that's saying, I'm here, mm-hmm. I'm real, I'm the real you. Are you paying attention? Mm, Because we don't pay attention to our souls very much. We just get so wrapped up in the frenetic activity of tasks that need to be done and things that need to happen, and we forget that there's something that needs to be taken care of deeper inside. Yeah, okay. Um, So you preached this sermon on Easter of 2019, and in it you talk about the Easter message being threefold. There is a, they're all three Ps. There's a problem. God made provision to solve that problem, and because of that provision, we are given the power to be set free from that problem. So how do we know for sure that we've been given that power? Wow, that's jumping right in. (laughs) Okay, how do we know we've been given power? Well, the power that we're going to look at Mm -hmm. is the power of the resurrection. Mm -hmm. In in Ephesians chapter one, uh, there's really an epicenter in all of history that reverberates backwards and forwards in every direction Mm -hmm. and that is the power of God at work in the resurrection Mm -hmm. because the problem of death of sin which led to death and all destruction that we see is actually dealt with finally And so the power of the resurrection is manifest by whether or not there is change from death to life. Um, Not just negativity to positivity, but but actually deadening deadening to God, he's my enemy, Mm. to he's my friend, he is, he is, He's incredibly good. Uh, I can trust him. Or deadness to relationships, cutting someone off, to I'm really wanting to reach out Mm. and begin a bridge, to begin a a recovery or a reconciliation, or deadness that has happened in our relationship with the earth. Mm -hmm. There is um, 
uh, I could care less, I can use it up, I can um, rape the environment, mm. to I, I'm a steward, I want to nurture, I want, I want to see life, and I want to protect and, and respect and, and provide everything possible for all that's living. Mm. Those are just little examples, little examples. of power mm-hmm. that becomes present as the power of the resurrection power comes into us. Right relationship with God, with others, with earth, and, and within ourselves. We, we're no longer so full of shame or guilt or, um, uh, or pride. Mm. It's like all of those things are put back in place mm. so that we, we are restored. Okay, that's very helpful. Thank you. Um, so one other thing that you talk about is, is being in prison, and a lot of souls feel like they're in prison. So as we conclude this series about soul searching, what is it people are searching for, and, and how do they find it in that Easter message so they do feel free? Mm. Well, <laughs> what are people searching for? I, I, I wouldn't want to just jump to the end. I would say... The first thing is to pay attention to your own dis-ease mm. or your own thirst or your own unhappiness. And if it all resolves around if they would change or if I just had more money or if I just got an education, then that's in a sense short-circuiting the real quest. Why do you need an education? What is it about them mm-hmm. that is blocking you mm-hmm. from change from 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 res, res, your soul mm-hmm. really are you really completely at the whim of everyone else in the world or what is it about money that would set you free so so if if we get past the initial solution that is often our hope mm-hmm. that is going to fix us a new location a new a new spouse whatever it is mm-hmm. If that, if we go past that and say, well then, what we'll find is that what we're looking for is everything that God is and brings to us. And so when Jesus was raised from the dead, which is the Easter message, God becomes available now to us. And then God gives us the prescription to the soul that is so uh, disturbed. He says, I will show you the way. Jesus is the way you're gonna follow. I will take you through the mine mm-hmm. uh, field of this world and I will guard your life and I will satisfy you. I will give you bread and living water mm-hmm. and I will, I will give you myself mm-hmm. as the guide. That's a beautiful promise, it really is. All right, well, let's go into the sermon. Wow, it is so good to see you. We are finishing a series on the soul. And the soul is not a word we talk about much in public unless it's a plane that goes down or a ship that capsizes or as we Heard on the news just hours ago, a bombing in Sri Lanka. We don't count bodies, we count souls. The soul is the most important part of you, 
And it has an eternal destiny. Our second reading comes from Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. It's found on page 136 if you want to follow along in your pew Bible. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, someone might actually dare to die. But God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let us pray. God of life, we ask that you would send your spirit now so that we might be enlivened with this word and come to freedom and come to faith. Come to faith. We make our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Easter really is a great day. I mean, most of us are dressed up in our nice clothes. Kids get Easter baskets, lots and lots of candy. And it's the one season of the year when you can find marshmallow peeps. Now at CVS, they're so into peeps that maybe you've seen it. You can get a stuffed toy pink peep to keep. Just bring it home. Except that you know, by the middle of May, I think a pink peep is out of place. Do you agree in your house? It was Easter Sunday, 1722, when Dutch explorers came across an island any 100 miles on the, off the west coast of Chile, 2,600 miles east of Tahiti, they named it Paziland, Easter Island. It's known for its 900 giant stone statues. It's memorable, but it is so disconnected from the rest of the world. Now, I just wonder if there are those who think that Easter and its message of the empty tomb is as disconnected from the rest of life or as out of place as a pink peep in the middle of May. What is the Easter message? A Sunday school teacher asked a class of five-year-olds if they knew what Jesus said when he came out of the tomb. And a little girl raised her hand excitedly and was called on, and her response was, Ta-da! <laughs> what is the Easter message? Well, it's not beautiful phrases, writes Christian apologist Dorothy Sayers. She's best known for her mystery novels. It is not beautiful phrases. It's not comforting sentiments. It's not vague aspirations to loving kindness and uplift, nor the promise of something nice 
after death. The Easter message is the terrifying assertion that the same God who made the world lived in the world and passed through the grave and the gate of death. There's a message of Easter. One, there is a problem in the world and a problem in us. Two, a provision has been given by God. And three, there is a power to set us free. First, there is a problem. I should say problems. I mean, they're many and complex. Do you agree? In the first part of the 20th century, a French psychologist coined a phrase that went worldwide, and almost everybody knew it. It goes like this. In every way, every day, I'm getting better and better. You'll say it with me. In every way, every day, I'm getting better and better. It was a belief that the whole world, through education, enlightenment, was progressing. Dorothy Sayers, the same one I quoted earlier, found that those who believed that humanity was improving, found that those who believed that humanity was improving were those who were the most discouraged when the World War II broke out. It felt like the bottom dropped out of their universe because the world seemed to have gone mad. We do live in a time with complex problems. But you know what our culture does? Our culture gives us a simple solution to address the problems. It's our own heart. Our own heart determines what's right and wrong and what we should do. In our culture, there's no higher judge than ourselves. But is that true? Last week, I was driving north on Route 1, coming from Boston, and I received a very important phone call. I've been waiting call. I was just cresting the hill as you're going down towards Topsfield Fair. Do you know where I'm talking about? And it was a very important call, and I was so excited to be talking. And I, I looked through the rearview mirror, and uh, there were blue lights flashing, and they were clo so close. So I thought I would just pull over to let the police car pass. Oh, no, but it pulled in right behind me. Whatever could be the matter? I rolled down the window, and I heard, lady, do you know that you were going 62 miles per hour in a 45 mile per hour zone? Now, I could have said, but I didn't feel like I was speeding. Or I could have said, I'm not aware that I put anyone else in any kind of danger, but that would not have been very smart. The problem is that I had broke law and I was accountable. We all are accountable to a real standard of right and wrong. Think about it. Grades are based on right and wrong answers. Students are accountable to their teachers for doing their homework and studying for their tests. Employees are accountable. Those who have responsibility over money are held to a real standard of right. It's called an audit. IRS does that to us all the time. The fact is, 
we have an internal awareness of right and wrong. It presses in on us. Without this awareness, writes C.S. Lewis, then the world could no more blame the Nazis, Nazis for what they did than for the color of their hair. We know there's a standard to keep. But the problem is none of us keeps it. Just look at our excuses. We have an excuse for why we're late, or we eat too many cookies, or we fail to do what we say we will. We have reasons for our bad temper, why we are not thoughtful, or why we tell little white lies. We do it because we're tired, we're worried, we're hungry, we forgot. Think about this morning. How many were just a little bit irritable, believing that if so-and-so had gotten up a little earlier or had been a little more helpful, then you wouldn't be so grumpy when you were coming to church. If that says, speaks to anyone, just give a little elbow nudge to someone next to you. The problem is, we cannot do what we know is right. We're powerless. Powerless? Doesn't the Bible teach that God helps those who help themselves? No. Actually, that was Benjamin Franklin, and he was writing for poor Richard's almanac. The Bible teaches just the opposite. God helps those who cannot help themselves. The Easter message begins with a problem. We are all prisoners to sin. We don't go around with our orange jumpsuits, but we are in prison nonetheless. We are powerless to do what we want. But here's the Easter message. A provision has been given by God. We hear it in Romans 5, 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, the weak does not mean that you are not able to bench press 150 pounds. It is the word powerless. When we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. And you may wonder, well, what qualifies a person to be called ungodly? In his book, Soul Keeping, John Ortberg tells the story about his father-in-law, Al. Al was a good, decent man. He was also an acknowledged unbeliever. When Al was a boy, acknowledged unbeliever. When Al was a boy, one day he came across his mother who was just sobbing with tears. His mother almost never cried. Al learned from her that it was the church who hurt her so badly. And from that day on, Al resolved never to open his heart to God, who would make his mother cry. Al grew up to be the kind of guy who loved hunting and fishing. He taught his only child, a daughter, how to handle guns. 
Al taught his granddaughters how to recognize the sound a birdie makes. Bang! Al was a good father. He was a good grandfather. But he was ungodly. Ungodly does not mean... It means living your life without any reference to God. To be ungodly is to be uninterested, unattached, unadoring in the presence of the living God. It's like we have an allergy to God. I am allergic to cats. Now, I'm glad other people enjoy cats. I am glad that cats exist, but I don't want to get close to one. This is, this is what the Bible says is how the God, ungodly feel toward God. It reveals that all of us at one time were ungodly. And Christ died for the ungodly. Died for the ungodly. The Easter message begins on Good Friday when Christ died for the ungodly. You see, his cross and his death and our sins are related. His death and our sins are related. Now, we hear a lot now about the shock of people who put in a swab to a testing to find out their DNA, and it comes back, oh my goodness, I'm related to someone I never knew existed. This is something of what we discover. Christ's death and our sin are related. Think about it. How do we measure by the number of fire engines sent out to extinguish it? A small fire, one alarm fire. A significant fire is three alarms. A huge fire is five or more alarms. So how do we measure the consequence of sin? By looking at what it took to rescue us. John Stott writes, If there was no way by which the righteous God could righteously forgive our unrighteousness, except that he should bear it himself in Christ, it must be serious indeed. And God really, really must love us. The message of Easter names the problem and the provision, provision of God in Christ. But it does more than that. It offers a power to set us free. It comes from knowing the risen Lord. Do you remember Al? The man who was determined he would live without God. When he was older, his skin began to turn yellow, like those jonquils. He was diagnosed with terminal cancer. He was in much pain. He felt great humiliation. His body could not do what it normally did. Al felt out of place. 
He felt like he was remote, disconnected from God. But in that last year of life, Al opened his heart to Jesus Christ. His son-in-law, John Ortberg, prayed and read the Bible, prayed and read the Bible with him. And what was the darkest season of Al's life turned into a season of light. God's love became real. (laughs) Al was finally able to tell his daughter how much he loved her. Jesus Christ came and set a captive free. It's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. That's what Paul wants the Corinthians to know in 1 Corinthians 15. This is a historical, factual, real faith. How can we trust that Paul's not giving us fake news? Well, he's wanting the Corinthians to know. This is just 25 years after the event of the empty tomb and the resurrection appearances. So he begins to name, seeing Jesus, and they keep growing in number. And it ends with more than 500 at one time. And then he says, and they're still alive, most of them. Some have died. Go check it out. In other words, this is a reasonable faith. The Easter message is not some spirituality that is some way that we keep our minds set, just focused. It's a historical, real encounter with the living Lord. Easter message is no Easter island. It's connected to everything. Because there's a power when you're at work. There's a power in your, in your family life. There's a power inside. There's a power to give hope when the world looks like it's going mad. The world looks like it's going mad. I don't know if your soul feels like it's in prison. It doesn't need to be any longer. The Easter message is this. God loves you. He came after you in Christ. He bore your sin, guilt, judgment, and death. And if you open your heart to receive him, he will give you the power of a new life. The message is both a remedy and it's a resource that the world needs. The complex problems need people of resurrection power. But it begins with the soul. In our response to this message, let us pray. Lord, you know exactly where we are. And you know our name. We are in our soul. May we at least say, call my name. Call my name. So that I can look and respond and move toward you. And receive what it is that you have to offer. Lord, whom you set free is free indeed. Thanks be to God. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. 
If you'd like more information about our historic church, or you'd like to find out more about the gospel of Jesus, please visit our website at oldsouthnbpt.org. The peace of Christ be with you.